0: Hello, and welcome to Heart, Soul, and Roots podcast. I'm Tiffany Durr, and I have with me... Hey, everybody. This is Nicole. Welcome to the next
1: episode of our podcast. So today, we've decided that we would like to talk about depression and anxiety, Um, mostly because I've just finished reading the most amazing book that I think is so important and should be read by, by anyone and everyone really. I'll, the name of the book, which would be a good place to start, is um, it's called Lost Connections by a guy called Johan Hari. And it's it's all about depression and anxiety and um, the causes of, of depression and solutions for depression. And also busting a whole load of myths and false beliefs around what depression actually is. Um, so, I've just been so moved and so inspired by this book that I kind of said to Tiffany, hey, why don't we
0: talk about this really sensitive subject? <laughs>
1: and she's agreed. <laughs> right.
0: <laughs> right. Why not? Let's just dive right in. I know to me, I felt like it was important to talk about because it does affect so many people. And there tends to really be, I think we're getting farther from it, but there still tends to be a stigma around it. And so, the more awareness that we can bring to it, I think the better. My whole, my whole, sp- one side of my family is all in <laughs> mental health field. So yes, I, I, it's been near and dear to me for, for my entire life. Right. Yeah.
1: Yeah. And I don't, I think, so we talk, we've talked, we've mentioned this before mental health, which is kind of like the buzzword of the moment, especially in the UK. I don't know about in the States, but yeah. everybody is talking about mental health. Yes. Yeah. Um, For me, I prefer to talk about mental fitness, really, because people have kind of shoved mental health into this box of mental illness. Whereas Ah. really, I mean, I was doing a a kind of supervision session with with other coaches and therapists a few weeks ago. And there was a really interesting idea put forward that mental health is actually a spectrum going from mentally unhealthy to mentally well and fit. So mentally Mm -hmm. unfit, unwell to mentally well and fit and i thought that was actually a really interesting way of looking at it looking at it as a as a scale and a spectrum rather than just this kind of thing that bags everything together
0: i think as as humans as we've evolved more and more we we do you know we already had the physical scale as you said from unhealthy to fit and well and mm-hmm. so it's it seems like this natural progression that we should start talking about mental health in the same same dynamics yeah, so, totally resonates with me.
1: Yeah. And I mean, for me, there are four pillars of fitness, but this is not something that we necessarily need to get into now. But mm-hmm. the the physical is the one that we all know about. The yes. from, from now we're, you know, we're very much talking about mental fitness. But for me, there's also emotional and spiritual yes. fitness. And Absolutely. Those are the four pillars that make make us up really as as humans and that we have the privilege of having access to. Yes. Yeah. Okay.
0: So, so what did you, what did you find most interesting in the book or what what was the thing that pulled at your heart and you're like, oh, I really want to talk about this more. So
1: One of the the really big things in this book, and and this is written by a journalist. This is not written by a doctor or a scientist or anything like that. He's a regular guy, actually, who comes from the same village town that I come from, which I was really surprised to hear when I heard the name name of the town mentioned in the book. I was like, oh, my God, that's exactly where I grew up. Wow. So... He, he's a journalist, he's traveled the whole world talking to scientists and, and psychologists, psychiatrists, researchers. I mean, this guy has done mileage um, mm-hmm. all around the world, talking to the top people in, in their field and talking to everyday people as well and spending time with people in all different kinds of situations and reading a lot of research, scientific research done on, on the topic of depression and anxiety. And I think for me, there's so many golden nuggets in this book, but one of the big things is busting the myth that depression is caused by a chemical imbalance in your brain, which, oh. yeah, which is a story that I think so many people have heard and have been told. And I think many people have also latched on to that idea that yes. depression is caused by an imba- a chemical imbalance in your brain. And actually mm-hmm. what he's saying is that there is, there isn't, any scientific research to support that depression is 100% caused by a chemical imbalance in your brain so wow. yeah and That's i mean big. yeah i think it is big it is a big revelation um for the for the everyday person maybe doctors and psychiatrists already know this i don't know but from mm-hmm. what he was saying in the book that idea was kind of just tentatively put out there by some by some researchers i think in the 60s if i'm not mistaken and it was it wasn't pro it was never proven and it was grabbed hold of by the th- the pharmaceutical companies who then monetized that idea and made that the norm
0: wow Wow. Well, yes, this, I mean, it makes perfect sense. You know, if you can, if you can say there's something wrong and then you can make it, I don't know if about a quick buck, but you can make a lot of money off of it, then why would you research it further? Yeah. Or, or put more money into that?
1: Yeah. I mean, you're talking about a a multi-billion dollar industry, Um, where it's really convenient to just say to somebody, oh, your brain is broken, here, take some pills, without Mm -hmm. actually investigating. And and I feel sorry for doctors. In in the UK, we call them GPs, general practitioners. They have, what, a 10-minute time slot allocated to see each patient. So it's not like they have the time all the training Mm. to deal with, with psychiatry or psychological, psychological issues. So they don't have the time to say to you, Hey, what's going on? What's happening in your life? Why do you think you're feeling this way? They just have the time to say, okay, these are the symptoms that you're presenting. This is what it says in my handbook. This is the, this is the prescription that I need to give you.
0: Yeah. Yeah. They're trying to, to do fast food medicine. Yes. Basically.
1: Yeah, Yeah, absolutely.
0: Yeah. How fast can we can get you in and out? Yeah. yeah.
1: OK, so another thing that really I mean, Johan in this book, he he really does a lot of investigation into a lot of different different causes uh, into depression. Um, and a lot of them, excuse me, a lot of them are social social problems
0: social environmental
1: problems Um, and and he was saying that based on the research that he that he'd done and that he'd also spoken to other researchers that had had taken that had done these experiments there's Mm -hmm. always a cause there was always something that happened in somebody's life that triggered the depression always and they have these kinds of timeframes, you know, that if you if you don't get over your sadness of the death of a loved one within two weeks or two months or whatever it is, I can't remember the exact time frame, then you're mm-hmm. then you're clinically depressed. You're you're you've then passed over to being ill as opposed to in mourning and grieving for somebody that's close to you that you've lost. So right. there's this, this limited time frame, which is really unrealistic and and weird, really.
0: Yeah everybody has, wow. I didn't realize that because yeah, everybody has their own process. We're all made up of different, you know, millions of different cells and my cells are not the same as your cells. So naturally my process is going to be different than anybody else's process. We're all very unique.
1: Yeah,
0: And I mean, I understand doctors are trying to, like I said, do it quickly, but also they're, I mean, They're trying to help and they're trying to say, this is what happens in the general population. You seem to be outside of that. Let's stick a pill in you and get you over this. Let's get you Mm -hmm. back to quote unquote normal.
1: Yeah. And what is normal
0: that I'm, what is normal? I saw, I saw another Ted
1: talk a while ago. I cannot for life of me remember the name of the girl. And it was another one that moved me because, and, and I'll be honest with you, these things move me and touch me because of my own journey and my own experience with depression Mm-hmm. um and she was saying that when she when she was at university um i think she was at university she was depressed and and kind of marginalized from society and and there was all this stigma attached around being depressed and i remember that as well in my own experience of thinking the last thing you want is to have depression on your medical records because what's that going to mean for your future what's the Mm -hmm. stigma that comes with that what's you know do you ever you never want to put on an application form that you've suffered with some sort of mental illness because whether you know whether there's rules in place or not for um uh equality like hiring equality you 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 always kind of have this fear that that will come back and bite you in the ass right yeah and she was saying that she had studied tribal tribes people or I can't remember, I can't remember, again, I can't remember the ins and outs, I just, I saw it a while ago. Um, mm-hmm. I can't remember if it was Native American um, or or, sh- or like a kind of shamanic uh, tribes people, where if a person was going through a mental, what we would consider a mental illness, a mental process that, that wasn't kind of regular um, mm-hmm. in inverted commas, they would be supported by the community and supported on, on their kind of journey through the psychosis or whatever it was that they were living, because it was, it's considered like a sacred journey. And when they come out the other side, they come out stronger. They come out more, more realized
0: in their role within the community. Yes. Yes. They're so smart that, (laughs) I mean, from, from when people have, um, Usually depressive states. It doesn't have to be depressive states, but a state of going through a really hardship is when you see the extreme rapid growth on the other side mm-hmm. and you see the advancements or that I'm not dealing with this anymore. I'm going to change X, Y, Z, and I'm going to change it not just for me, but for society. There's so many amazing things that we as a society have benefited from, from others going through pain and saying, I don't want it to be this way anymore. I'm going to do whatever I can to make these changes. And so just think as a society, if we change the way that we thought about depression, how much more support could we give those people that are going to be great innovators?
1: Yeah. Yeah. And I mean, there's so many changes that need to be made on a societal level, one of the causes of depression that that he talks about in his book is this kind of isolation that we're we're living more and more now this this kind of lack of lack of home lack of a place called home and home that we now think of as the four walls that we live within whereas home really for us as humans is community and it's the people around us and and we are we come from tribes back in, you know, back when we we were cavemen and and living purely off the land, if we were if we were exiled from our tribe, then the chances of us surviving was so small, they were so slim. Okay, that's not the case now, but in a sense, we are replicating that in that that fear and that lack of lack of survival skills but in a different way. It's an emotional lack of survival skills when we're marginalized from society or, or living
0: in an isolated way. Yeah. Um, it's, I, it's just like opening up my mind, I guess. And so I think I really like the way that you just said that. Yeah. I mean, it's so true. It's so true. What you just said about how we as tribesmen used to be, uh, you know, you had to be in to be, to survive and, you know, I think, because I hear about this a lot, I tend to have a fear of like, um, I think it's more on the anxiety side of meeting new people or really worrying about what other people think of me. That's probably my biggest thing. And I know like people have tried to at least tell me this, that it's because this tribal or not tribal, but like, you know long time ago instinct that if you are not on the inside and you're not well liked and you get on the outside, then your rate of survival decreases quite rapidly when you're by yourself. Mm. And so I, I had not thought about how that could, you know, translate for the emotional side of it, like you're saying Mm. and how, how, especially like you said in society and was this written before the pandemic? This, I think the book was published in 2018. So yes. Yeah. Yeah. So you just think about how, how much that's changed. I know, I know one of my classmates from college or not from college, from high school, I was not close to him, but he Committed suicide right after, shortly after about May, after the pandemic, because it was so isolated. And I know there's so many people that we did lose for, to this extreme isolation that we've put mm-hmm. ourselves through with the pandemic. So I think, I really think that taking this, like you says, taking the stigma away from mental health is going to be crucial for us to heal as a community as we come out of this. Life altering thing that we have that we've been through. Mm. And so I think anything that we individually can do to help take that stigma away, I think is really important. And like you said, you don't, you also, I don't want people to not seek help because they're afraid of the stigma of it and afraid of, like you said, you don't want depression to ever be on your resume where you have to tell somebody that you were clinically depressed. Mm. I mean, That's, that I think terrifies me even more because people need help. They need to talk. And if they're not seeking the help, then it could be really bad
1: yeah and i know that there are more and more organizations that are that uh, are all over the place i i my, my own personal knowledge is is more to do with the uk so again i can't talk for the states or or any other anywhere else i know in the uk there are lots of organizations that people can phone and get in touch with and talk to if they're feeling down um and 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 feeling however they're feeling and they need some they need some extra support um but although that's, that's great. I think I go back to, we need some huge societal and cultural shifts to take place so that we, we're not, we're not getting to that point where we, we're not getting to the breakdown point.
0: Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's like this analogy of, um, You know, people kept falling in this river and people would save them downstream. And finally, somebody said, why are we down here saving people? Why don't we go upstream and stop them from falling in in the first place? Exactly. So we need to go upstream from when the depression gets really bad upstream to how can we help them? How can we love on them and let them, you know, if their grieving takes longer, love them through that and do what we need to do to help them come out Mm -hmm. the other side yeah what do people need? what does what does mm-hmm. society need in general
1: to avoid feeling feeling this way to avoid falling in the river? I love that analogy. That's just so that's exactly what I was trying to say, but in a more in a more visual way, and it made sense to me <laughs> <Thanks for that. laughs> another thing that impacted me a lot from from this book was his journey. and So he and I are almost the same age. I think there's a few years between us. We're from the same place. We grew up in the same place. And um, he was saying that as a teenager, he was put on antidepressants. And my journey is, is kind of similar. I remember feeling, starting to feel sad and starting to feel bad from probably around the age of 14. I didn't, I don't think I knew really why. And I think this very often happens with people and depression that you kind of look in on their lives and think, well, what have you got to be depressed about? You know, you're, you've are you got food, you've got clothes, you've got a loving family, um, you've got education, you've got all of these kind of things that in the developed world we we consider things that we need and then you almost feel guilty for feeling sad and feeling like life isn't right for whatever reason you have this well that was my experience anyway Mm -hmm. kind of not understanding it feeling confused by it and and also this kind of guilt and this almost like you see all these adverts of kids starving in Africa and you think well I've got all of this stuff why am I feeling sad when there's kids and and people suffering in that way in in Africa
0: and it it's a really confusing process. Yeah. And I would guess it would be easy to spiral then. Yeah. Because you're feeling, you're already feeling depressed and then you're on the antidepressants and then you're feeling guilty about being depressed. Mm. And I can just see where that can really spiral very, yeah. very easily. Yeah. Yeah, and
1: and you you self isolate. You self isolate because you think that nobody else can understand what you're going through. Um, very much in my case, I didn't want to talk to anyone about it. Um, I didn't understand it, so I didn't I didn't understand how to communicate it to anyone. I hadn't met anyone that I felt was able to able to I was able to open up to. And exactly exactly like you said, it kind of it kind of spiraled over the years. Um, And although I I ended up having a reasonable excuse as to why to feel shit, (laughs) that Mm -hmm. I don't, that for me wasn't the origin. It was the excuse that I needed to say, I feel
0: like shit and just leave me alone. So were you able to then walk it back and pinpoint what, where it came from or have you sensed?
1: Yeah, I've, yeah, I've, I've looked at a lot of things in my life. Um, There was, Mm -hmm. there was a lot of bullying at my school, um, Mm -hmm. a lot of ostracizing, and there was kind of, there was kind of this, almost on a rotation basis, on a weekly rotation basis, you could get to school one day and the, the two kind of leaders, if you like, if they, if they decided that it was your, it was your week, you were fucked and you had no friends and you were completely ostracized from the group. And that was, you know, that was kind of your week of hell. And then maybe the next week they decide, oh, actually, okay, you can come back and now it's somebody else's turn. Um,
0: Dude, I had the same
1: experience.
0: Oh, okay. I, I had the same experience. My fifth grade was just like that. And it was pure, hell like yes yes there was one queen bee and she decided your fate and honestly on through high school this happened with somebody else too Hmm. um but yes i experienced the exact same thing and that never knowing where you're at where you stand you just show Mm -hmm. up at school and either they like you or they don't and it totally depends on and if they liked you you had to be nice right to stay in because mm-hmm. you want to be in the circle, because the circle it's is safe. safer. Exactly. Mm-hmm. Yeah, mm-hmm. exactly. Yes, that's the thing that I try to stay vigilant for my daughters not to go through. Yeah, because this hell, yeah. I
1: remember. I mean, it's amazing how many people as adults experience depression and anxiety as a result of bullying and, and problems at school with with peers. I mean, I've treated mm-hmm. so many people for social anxiety and you know general anxiety and and a lot of it comes from these sorts of these sorts of situations because you're you're living on on the edge you're living in constant fight or flight in that situation you get to school you have no idea if it's a good day or if it's a bad day you're constantly mm-hmm. thinking about what you say because if you say one word the wrong way that somebody doesn't like then you know that <laughs> you're done for the day you're done for the week you're done for the month and it's a really stressful way
0: to live yes it is and I wonder in our brain and in our body, I don't know, like where that, because where, that gets internalized somewhere, right? Mm-hmm. And so it can show up as depression or for me, anxiety. So my, my journey with anxiety is I always felt really bad for people that had anxiety and I loved helping them with oils with, with their anxiety. And mm-hmm. I didn't really understand it. And then one night we were at our friend's house and one of our guy friends was describing what it was like to have anxiety and every single thing he said I related to. And I was like, oh, holy shit, I have anxiety. I've just covered it up really well with with positivity because that has been my crutch, my go-to whenever Mm. I feel uncomfortable. I just see the sunny side, and I keep going. Mm-hmm.
1: My one of my mentors, Tim Box, who is absolutely brilliant. He's such a brilliant guy. I love learning from him, and I love learning with him. He's got an amazing TED talk. I can't remember the name of it, but if you if you Google Tim Box TEDx, um, it will come up, and it's about anxiety. And he's he's become somewhat of a, an anxiety specialist. He suffered with social anxiety for many years. And his take on anxiety is so unique and interesting and it's helped so many people. And, and he's, he says, look, anxiety is an emotion without anxiety. You're either a psychopath or dead. You need anxiety. Anxiety Mm -hmm. is there to warn you of something. If you didn't have anxiety on some level, you would never get anything done because Mm -hmm. anxiety is there to remind you that there's something important that needs to be done. So if Um. anxiety didn't exist, then we we wouldn't have evolved as, as a species, and we would be getting absolutely nothing done. So some level of anxiety is necessary. What the problem is when that anxiety starts to get out of control, and then you start to become anxious about feeling anxi- anxious. And that's mm-hmm. how, how it snowballs and it becomes, you know, what people get labeled with as generalized anxiety disorder and things like that.
0: Yeah, that makes so much sense. I also I was diagnosed with having IBS irritable bowel syndrome yeah. when I was a sophomore or junior in high school, I can't remember which. So I would I just suffered from all these stomach aches. Couldn't figure out what was going on. My doctor basically put me on a jello diet for 2 weeks and it still didn't fix it. But what I now that I have been around a lot more, especially in the essential oil world and personal development world and learning about myself and the way things affect people I really think that it was undiagnosed anxiety that I was internalizing into Mm -hmm. stomach issues. Mm -hmm. And um, that, I mean, I've dealt with that now for, well, I'm almost 40. So (laughs) a long time. It gets better. It definitely gets better when I am more comfortable and I'm around Mm -hmm. like people that I know and I'm not so worried and anxious. And mm. then I have flares up flare ups when I get really stressed and really worried about what's going on around me. And yeah, so it's it's the way that I have yeah internalized it. Do, do you know much about like the um emotional body code? No, I don't know. I know barely anything, but it talks about taking emotions and where we store them in our body and then what that materializes as far as like Stomach issues or whatever. Oh right, is. okay, yes, no, I do
1: know more about this. Yeah, yeah, I, I just didn't know it in that in that terminology. Yeah, I've done I've done a lot of research and studying into into the different kind of um, pathologies, if you like, or, or bodily issues and and what they mean on an emotional level. And I know that in Chinese medicine, different organs relate to different emotions as well. I'm, I've always been really fascinated by that because of my own journey as well. And IBS in the UK apparently it's the only thing that you, the the NHS the national health service will refer you to a hypnotherapist for really yes yeah. yeah and again we 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 seem to be um we seem to be leading parallel lives my friend because I was also diagnosed with IBS around the same age um wow. and also which was which came off the back of something else that came off the back of some some other complications medical complications that we can talk about in another episode Mm -hmm. Um, and stomach issues that went on for years and then eventually it was kind of an IBS label amongst other things but I Mm -hmm. started to realize as the years went on I started to become more conscious that when I was feeling nervous or when I was feeling stressed or when I was in a situation that I didn't like my stomach used to inflate like a balloon and I I, you know I could look pregnant from from the inflation from the 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 bloated stomach that I had and it became so painful but I started to become so aware of it that 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 happened it coincided so often with a situation that I didn't like um, ah, I didn't quite yes. figure out how to turn it on and turn it off on my own but at least that mm-hmm. awareness was there um from I would say a relatively decent age, probably around the age of about 17. I was starting to become aware of that, which I think is, yeah, I I think is quite a good age to to start becoming aware of of your body in that way.
0: Yeah. Yeah. That's incredible. It's going to be much, much longer, my friend. (laughs) (laughs) I would get, I would get so anxious about going out and eating dinner. Like one of my one of my cousins once told me, I don't know why you come out and eat dinner. You should just take your plate of food and go throw it in the toilet. <laughs> and I was okay. like, yeah, okay, yes, this is true. <laughs> but I'd be so anxious that I was going to get sick that I would it would happen it would manifest
1: so this is a lot of the work that i do with my clients as well i mean we've worked together and and one of my styles of working is very much going within the body and and becoming very aware of what's happening in your body and and going inside of that to to find out what your body is telling you what's lying there what's sitting there um what what lies beneath if you like and it's a really powerful for me, it's a really powerful process, and I've seen amazing things happen happen with people, and and literally, kind of things, you know, being their top blown off, and and this massive release of of energy that's that's just been stored in that place and been bundled on top of from all of these emotional, emotional kind of cramming's, if you like, and and just allowing that, giving it space, recognizing, and giving it a place to release.
0: Yeah. Okay. So when people are depressed, you know, like you said, it's usually a situational thing. Mm. What is that the right word? I think that's what I'm looking for. Anyways, uh, what would you, what would you have people do? Like what, what is the best way to help yourself get out of the whole, the hole? (laughs) Yeah, I mean, the
1: whole is a good way to describe it, really. And I think the thing about depression is the despair and the sense of hopelessness. You just yeah. lose all sense of hope. You lose all sense of the future and, and any possibility of what can or could be, um, mm. which is you know, that it's that kind of numbness, that kind of emptiness that comes with depression um, which is which is different it is different to anxiety although depression and anxiety tend to be talked about in the same they kind of they're almost married together everybody that's talking about depression is talking about anxiety and vice versa right um, I don't know if depression does always come with anxiety in my case I don't remember feeling particularly you know feeling anxious or, or or having panic attacks or I don't remember anxiety being a part of my process Mm-hmm. Um, I just remember the kind of the extreme ups and the extreme downs and, and nothing like for me, the middle ground didn't exist. It was either I was high in the sky and kind of, you know, really, really up almost to, to, you know, to such an extreme. And then the the lows were just really kind of plummeting lows. That was my experience. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. when when you're in the when I was in the low it was just this this darkness this despair and hopelessness and I can't see anything beyond it like literally being at the the bottom of a well and not being able to see your way out Mm -hmm. um and not having any for me again not having anyone to talk to I didn't feel that there was anyone that I could talk to I didn't feel that there was anyone that I could connect with about Mm -hmm. my experience um and I think that's really the first step. I, I had somebody else talking a while ago who um, was talking about his experience with with depression, and saying that he had a friend who showed up at his house every single Tuesday, let's say at six o'clock in the six o'clock in the evening with a beer, and would phone. Would he said he'd always phone him up, up before to say, "Hey, can I come round?" And even if he said no, his friend would show up with a beer. And just, he said, that kind of consistency of knowing that no matter what, that person is going to show up and just be here, whether we mm-hmm. just sat in front of the TV and drank a beer together, didn't talk about anything or talked about something or whatever it was, mm-hmm. that consistency of knowing that that person was there for me, he said that was his his lifeline when he was going through his process. So I think everybody's, everybody's process is different, but the first step is talking to someone about it and especially in the work that i do i mean you've experienced some of the work that i do mm-hmm. when we communicate with the subconscious mind and and kind of find out the the barriers and the blocks and the obstacles that are stopping you from feeling happy stopping you from from being able to to see hope and see the future and removing negotiating with the parts of your mind that are in charge of in charge of that and helping them see the light, helping them see that there is hope and that you don't need to live at the bottom of a well.
0: Yeah, absolutely. Um, so yeah, it's really important for them to talk to somebody and somebody that they, that they trust. And remember that they're your friend and that your friends are always going to be there. And then if you are the person that somebody's reached out to you, think about what Nicole just said and how that steady, I'm going to be there with a beer every Tuesday, whether or not you want me to, how -hmm. important that was. And so as a friend, we need to remember sometimes our friends say things that they don't want us around when they really need us around. It's really important to, to help provide a little bit of stability if you can.
1: Yeah. And you don't have to be, you don't have to be a mental health expert. You don't have to be a psychologist or a counselor or or a hypnotherapist or anything. It's just that connection, really, that showing that true connection to the person. And that's, again, this goes back to this book. I mean, I'm just so fascinated by this book because it's really put down onto paper. So many things that have been going on in my mind, so many things I've talked about for so many years and it's just it's a bit like the untamed book. It's just this person has taken the time to do all the research, travel the world, speak to all these people, and put put it down on paper in an organized and and well formatted way so that it's easily easily digestible and it's relatable and and you can you can just understand it. and it's it's, um, yeah, for you know, for me, one of the biggest things that he's talking about is this sense of, of disconnection that so many people seem to be living and Mm -hmm. this sense of community that that has been almost severed in in the name of individuality and the the me being the best version of me and me putting me before everyone else which I get because we need to look after ourselves but we can't forget about everyone else as well. We can't forget about community. We can't forget about the people that we're sharing, the people, the animals, the nature that we're sharing this experience on this planet with. We're connected Mm -hmm. to all of it in one way or another. Uh, I don't know what the listeners believe, but I've always believed that, that we are connected. We are all connected in one way or another. The six degrees of separation, whether that's humanity, animals, or nature.
0: Mm -hmm. Yes. We are so connected. It's something I firmly, firmly believe in. And I remember thinking, like pondering things like this when I was in high school and such. You know, when you're sitting there thinking about life and <laughs> what are going to be your next steps and how, um, how we, we come across so many people in our lives that we don't really know or we don't really take the time to get to know or maybe it's just somebody that you pass on the street or whatever, but just knowing that you have that human connection and how really amazing that is. So yeah, yeah, I get what you're saying. It's something that I've actually taken some time to really think about at times. Yeah. So.
1: Yeah. And I think, for, again, I mean, for me on my journey, my recovery I mean I I was I felt like I was in and out of depression or on this journey for quite a long time probably Mm -hmm. about 15 years I mean Mm -hmm. I I don't feel like I really left it behind until I was in my 30s like early 30s somewhere around that somewhere around there and for me my kind of stepping stones and they they were stepping stones were people that I met that I connected with on a really deep level and those were the people that kind of gave me almost gave me a gift of a little golden nugget for me to me to put into my put into my heart, put into my mind and, and help me start to see a different way, see a light, see a path that I hadn't been able to see before. I remember meeting a girl when I was living in Australia who became, you know, one of my I I, I still believe she's one of my guardian angels on Earth and we were working together in a bar and she used to send me these little notes I mean we'd met like you know we'd known each other for about two weeks she'd send me these little notes across the bar um you're beautiful you're gorgeous you know like I love you and and just she was such a kind of that kind of person and I Mm. remember thinking why is this person telling me these things what what is it that she wants from me what do you know I mean I was just so right Almost kind of cautious. In. Yeah, like, why would somebody mm-hmm. be saying all of these nice things to me if they don't want something from me? It was mm-hmm. so foreign to me. It really was. It was It was so confusing to me. And, and as I started to let my guard down with her and we became such good friends, and like I say, I, I still hold her as one of my guardian angels on earth, mm-hmm. Um, I was just, eventually I was just like, huh, she keeps saying it. She's not asking me for anything. She's not trying to get anything from me um maybe you know I can I can actually start to let some of that in and start to believe her and Mm -hmm. for me that was one of that was a key step and stage in my life for for starting to change really making a big shift in in my way of thinking feeling
0: and and interacting and connecting with other people Mm -hmm. That's incredible. What an amazing person. (laughs) I love it. I love it. And It's nice to know that, um, that there are those people out there and that we can each individually be those people for somebody else.
1: Yeah, I think she was one of the first women, other women. That I started to trust after my experience at school, because after my experience at school, it was a circle of girls. And then I had a big issue with girls, massive issue with girls. And I, I was like, no more girls, only guys or girls that act like guys. Yep. <laughs> and that was, yep. that was
0: my kind of circle. <laughs> yeah. By the time I graduated high school, my best friend was a guy mm-hmm. and we stayed really close for a long time. And I was, I did not let girls in. Honestly, I didn't really let girls in until after I was married, Mm. (laughs) and even then, I've let it's been I've let my guard down more here recently with with the group that since since the beginning of the pandemic, we kind of became our own little bubble, and we are the ones that got together. And those two, well, you know Shelby, (laughs) Mm -hmm. (laughs) Um, they they have. I'm just so grateful for them, and I and it finally gave me enough security, I guess, to feel like I could let my guard down. Like, I feel like they get me, they see all my shades and they never use it against me. Mm -hmm. And, and I love them, you know, and, and all the is, you know, beautifully them and they love all the parts are beautifully me. And I just, I'm so thankful for it. And so I, I feel you.
1: And those are those are the relationships, you know, the connections with friends, with family, with com- the wider community. Those are the things that give us a sense of home, right? Mm-hmm. So being the one um, that's experienced more anxiety than, than I have, what mm-hmm. would be your advice for people that feel that they're suffering with anxiety?
0: Mm-hmm. Well, I would say the first thing is a lot of people will tell you become withable or, you know, don't worry about what other people think of you. And that is when you have anxiety, that is really, really hard. Like, and so I think instead of, of saying that concentrate on loving yourself and accepting yourself for who you are. And the more and more that you accept yourself, the less and less you'll worry about other people. Mm-hmm. And so instead of trying to not, it's because you're, you're already hyper-concentrated on it. So for somebody to be like, just turn that off, it's really hard. And I've never been able to just turn it off. But as I have grown and thrown myself into personal development and learned more about myself and been more accepting of myself, I have come leaps and bounds. Um, and be okay. You know, like I take adaptive pills, which is, and, you know, doTERRA product that we have here in the States. I take that daily now, and that has helped me too. So it be okay with, with using things to help you too. You know, Mm -hmm. I think it's part of the loving yourself part, you know, don't be hard on yourself. Don't be like, Oh, now I have to take this. Um, but yeah, be loving towards yourself, I guess is my best advice. Mm. I feel like
1: we have some hypno sessions in, in, in the pipeline.
0: (laughs) Like we do. Yes. We've worked on other things. We haven't worked on that yet. So Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. well, it took so long for me to under, you know, accept it. I guess not only understand it, but then accept it Mm. because I was like, really? Because maybe I just deal with it better. Maybe I don't really have it because I just deal, you know? So I think I think we're, I don't know, we're onions. We're always uncovering new layers of ourselves.
1: Yes, yes, we are. Yes, we are.
0: You you mentioned just there the, the pers- personal
1: development journey. And we've, we've both been on a personal development journey for a long time. And, and you know, kind mm-hmm. of personal growth, personal development was something that I started to look at at a very young age. There was the first book that somebody put in my hands at 16 years old was um, The Celestine Prophecy. Um, and and it totally just opened up a new channel in my mind, and from then on, that's that was the beginning of my kind of personal growth journey, I guess. But I do want to I do want to say, and I think we have touched on this in a previous episode, that sometimes. They can feel like there's a lot of pressure from the personal development community and that you read all of these books and it's, you know, we talked about this getting up at five o'clock in the morning, doing your meditation, doing your yoga, doing your oil pulling, doing, you know, having your smoothie, having this, having that. While it's all great, sometimes it can feel like there's so much pressure to be perfect Within Mm -hmm. this personal development world. And if you're not doing everything, you know, all of these different things the way that they've been, they've kind of been described, you feel like a failure. And that produces more anxiety and produces more kind of, it could potentially produce more depression and and feeling just hopeless and falling into this pit of despair.
0: Yeah. I have you ever, yes, I know you have because you've done them with me. The Strength Spinders, it's a gallop. I love that because. I love this analogy that they have is that you're like, your strengths are like the points on a star and, you know, there are things that are down in the Valley, but rather than trying to work on these things in the Valley and make yourself a circle, stay a star and really use your strengths. Mm -hmm. And so, you know, like I, you, I, we've talked about this before with personal development, like I have overdone it. (laughs) And been super hard on myself, mm. and I felt like, well, I'm not organized enough, or I'm not, you know, the comparison thing. Yes. But when I started understanding strengths, um, this this honestly all broke down around a planner recently. <laughs> <But> <laughs> I was a planner junkie, like a planner junkie. I loved having planners, but about four months into the year, my planner was more like a notebook. Like I did not, I. It's just my personality, it's my strength that I fly by the seat of my pants. And it works extremely well for me. I know it I drive other people crazy. I'm not as organized as I could be. But I finally, when I was listening to a call about strengths and like uh, digging into like what my bottom strengths were and trying to stay out of them because um Eddie Via, who's a strengths coach, he's he had this great analogy that I learned about a year ago, which was when you're using your strengths it's like you have a hammer. Here's the nail is the problem. You're able to hammer it in. When you dip down into your lower strength, it's like you have a ham sandwich and you're trying to hammer a nail in with a ham sandwich. Well, it's not going to go anywhere and it's just going to make a big mess. Right. Hmm. And so I found that when, and I don't know if this is on topic or not, but when you're using your strengths is when you are more, you more loving yourself and it, it just works. So in personal development, as you're doing things, make sure that you're doing things that really tune into your strengths rather than constantly trying to worry about your weaknesses, because when you're in your weaknesses, you're trying to drill nails with ham sandwiches. Mm -hmm. That's where I was going with this.
1: Yeah, that's really, I love that, that. I love that. And that does it does very much tie in with everything that we've been talking about today, you know, being Mm -hmm. being being true to who you are, make means that you don't have this anxiety about what are other people going to think and what's going to happen and you're not living in this kind of constant state of worry um about what might be this this creating of fantasies and visions about how the other person might react and what they might do which creates this whole kind of entourage of feelings which develops snowballs and develops into into these debilitating
0: symptoms okay well we've covered a lot we've covered a lot with depression and anxiety i love that when you and i get together we just let it flow Yes. <laughs> so, hopefully, our listeners love it too, because this, it really is an organic conversation. We don't come to the table with, like, here's what we're going to talk about, because that would not be in our strengths. Yes. <laughs> we are honoring our strengths by just letting this conversation happen organically. Yes. So, thank you so much, Nicole. I'm really glad that you brought this up. I think it's a really important topic. I yeah. think it's really important that people really honor themselves. And if you, are feeling like you're going through something, know you don't have to go through it by yourself. Reach out to a friend, reach out to a professional. You're not alone. We're not alone. alone. We're
1: all living on this planet together and we are not designed to be isolated. We are designed to be connected. So Mm -hmm. connect. Mm -hmm. Yes. So thanks for joining everybody
0: and thanks for listening. This is Nicole signing off. This is Tiffany signing off. Don't forget to follow us on Facebook and Instagram. We'd love to see you there. Bye-bye in a couple of weeks.
1: Bye-bye.